0: Thank you for coming to the podcast. Top Turtle MMA podcast is brought to you by Band Coffee Gumby. Let me tell you something. I was having a rough day last week. I was sluggish, couldn't get through my job. What did I do? I took some banned coffee right to the face, three times the amount of caffeine as a normal energy drink, and I felt great. If you're having trouble getting through your day and you're also a coffee drinker who enjoys a bold taste and a fresh aroma, what are you doing with your life? Get yourself Banned Coffee. Go to BannedCoffee.com, enter in promo code MMA, all one word, and get yourself 20% off your order Banned coffee is the world's strongest coffee. So good, it should be banned. I came up with that tagline. Very proud of it. We are also brought to you by Sisu mouthguard. Sisu makes the world's thinnest, most lightweight, and durable mouthguard. You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink, all with the mouthguard in your mouth. If you do a high-impact sporter activity, you're going to want to get the Max Guard. but head on over to sisuguard.com and find the right mouthguard for your sporter activity. Sisu Mouthguards and Banned Coffee brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, which starts right now. We are rolling. I am David Tremonti, joined by my co-host, Daniel Gumby-Vreeland, Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. That's the mothership. But we're available wherever a podcast is being streamed, tune in, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes. I could go on and on. Thank you so much for joining us. One of the things we pride ourselves on is just getting right into it. And no better time to get right into it than International Fight Week, loaded week of fights. But we're going to start our show talking about something that happens... After International Fight Week, we're talking about Dana White's Contender Series. It's a new show, a new concept from the UFC, and we have the two headlining fighters on the show today. We're going to be talking to Matt Bissett and Kurt Holabaugh Did I say his last name right, Gumby? You got that one right. Yeah. All right, cool. So let's talk a little bit about Dana White Contender Series, Gumby. Uh, this is a new show. It's going to be on Tuesday nights, it's going to be weekly. And it's going to be up-and-coming fighters fighting for a chance to get into the UFC. So if I'm describing this right, and you're the MMA nerd here, so you tell me, this is essentially like a tough finale every Tuesday night fighting for a contract, but no one has to go through the house or the six weeks or anything like that.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, too, and I feel like the UFC is almost publicizing this piece even more, is that there's no guaranteed contract at the end of it. Which which is bad. There isn't? There's no guaranteed contract. I'm
0: glad we're having this podcast. We're clearing up confusion right now. So
1: that could be good or bad for the people on the show, though, right? Because you could go out, win your fight spectacularly, and Dana could be like, eh, not interested. But at the same token, those guys who win the Ultimate Fighter, you often hear complaints about how that Ultimate Fighter Champion contract is is kind of like pigeonholing you into how much money you can make because that contract's decided before the show starts. When you win, you just sign on the dotted line. So like they still have some negotiating power afterwards. I don't know how much leverage you feel like you have over Dana White after having an exciting fight on Fight Pass though.
0: But does anyone really have leverage over UFC contracts these <laughs> days besides <laughs> Conor McGregor? <laughs> okay. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, Demetrius Johnson doesn't. So.
0: <laughs> well said. Um, So what do you make of it being branded as Dana White's contender series? Does that bother you at all? Well,
1: It it doesn't because I uh, I watched what was it the Nevada Athletic Commission hearing yeah Yeah. hearing whatever so I think there was somebody getting suspended that day so I was interested in it and uh, I found out that Dana had to actually apply for a promoter's license to run this so this is actually separate from the UFC he's not underneath the UFC promoter's license this is almost like he started his own fight org. And the UFC has also made clear that these aren't UFC fights, so if you're, you know, tallying up your UFC record, you can't add in the one win you had on Dana White's contender series. So are they considered amateur fights? They are pro fights still. Yeah, because because he went out and got got his promoter's license, Mm. even though it's going to be in, like, a closed-off gym with, like, 100 people plus Snoop Dogg watching. Right. (laughs) E- even though that's true, it- it's still a pro fight, and it's still for an organization, just not the UFC. Well,
0: that was going to be my next question to you. Uh, it was announced that Snoop Dogg <laughs> and Uriah Faber will be pro- providing alternate commentary on Fight Pass. What did you make of that?
1: I-, I think it's cool because it's alternate. You know, like so, a lot of people when they heard Snoop Dogg's commentating, like, lost their fucking shit. But it's important to remember that this is like an alternative feed, which is something that the UFC has been trying to do more and more with Fight Pass is allow you to like select announcers, select what corner you're going to listen to in between rounds. And they've kind of been slow to to getting it to actually being used. But I think this is the first time they're going to try it because it's on a smaller scale. It's easier to do with the, the sound of the audience and stuff like that completely gone. So I like it as an alternate. I, I'll be interested to see who they actually have for the, the actual feed um, as opposed to the Snoop Dogg Vapor feed. Yeah, I well, I'm a huge Fight Pass
0: fan, obviously. I mean, you would expect that from two people doing an MMA <laughs> podcast in a basement somewhere. But, uh, you know, the... Uh, the fact that now there's this alternate commentary, it's like an extra feature. I really like it. I like when Fight Pass adds its own original content, not just the tape library. I love the tape library, Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, but the original content that I actually have a reason to tune into Fight Pass on a Tuesday night, and then you stick around. You know, the Contender series ends, and it's like, hey, I'm already in this app on my Roku. Let me go to the Pride library. Yeah,
1: it's really a smart way to get people into it on other days of the week, too. I think doing it on a Tuesday rather than like a Friday or Saturday was a genius move on their play.
0: I love I'm reading the press release right now and it's always like you know UFC's digital subscription service has 7,000 videos and 70 (laughs) million hours of content you can find a robust lineup including Dana White's looking for a fight, The Exchange, and The Third Degree. Why is The Third Degree always mentioned? There are two episodes (laughs) on Fight Pass and it's Kyla Gracie going around to different gyms filmed like four years ago. That must have gotten like a million hits because they list it in all their press releases it's probably because it's Kyra
1: Gracie (laughs) well that's
0: another story for another day uh is this going to replace the ultimate fighter do you think
1: uh I I know that they've been throwing around the idea of getting rid of the ultimate fighter for a while mostly just because uh, I I mean I think the the brawls in the house and the arguments in the house have run their course right um Mm. you know the when I watch the ultimate fighter, that's like the most upsetting episode to me where they show like the dudes getting drunk and throwing down in the house. So I think that this is like a smart way to get people interested. It'll be interesting to see how much of the background they give on the fighters before they fight. Cause if they give a little bit of it, it, it will give you that feel where you're getting to know a new contender.
0: I really like in the l- these recent seasons of The Ultimate Fighter, they give the fighters a camera, and you see their home life. Oh, they I've just lo- it themselves. love that on the Flyweight it, episode. Yeah, it's kind of raw, if you will. I'm going to expect something similar here because no one's going to know these fighters, mm. so I'm guessing they, they go with that. Um, all right, so... Let's go to our interviews now. I think we've talked enough about Dana White contender series. Let's actually actually hear from the two people pegged to main event the first episode. Two very exciting uh, up and coming fighters and independent promotions. Kurt Holabba comes from Titan, of course, and Mapaset comes from CES. Very exciting matchup, and we will play you those two interviews now. Mapaset's up first. And I would be remiss not to remind you that these interviews are brought to you by Band Coffee. Band Coffee makes the strongest coffee in the world. Head on over to bandcoffee.com. Enter in promo code TopTurtleMMA MMA for 20% off. Band Coffee brings you our interviews with Matt Bissett and Kurt Hollibaugh.
1: This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with Flow Combat MMA's Top Turtle Podcast. We have the pleasure today of speaking to the mangler Matt Bissett who fights Kurt Hollibaugh at Dana White's Contender Series 1 on July 11th. So, Matt, you've been dominating opponents in CES MMA for about two years now. It seems like impressive finish after impressive finish. Was there ever a point in time where you started to get worried that the UFC call
2: wouldn't happen? Uh, actually, quite the opposite. I knew I was getting closer and closer uh, with each performance, um, You know, because I'm just going out there and, and I'm, I'm wowing everybody, so it was just a matter of time.
1: Yeah, absolutely and, and especially those last two finishes too. They they seemed like uh you know, they were really the type that get the the brass on the uh on the radar.
2: Yeah, those, those are fun fights. Yeah. Uh anytime I get to to scrap and uh you know, even if it's a little bit of blood um that's spilled in from me or the other guy, uh, it gets me going. So, yeah. um you know, that, that groom fight was really fun because uh you know he, he he didn't want to give up, he wanted to continue to, and um, he he he's a tough, tough dude I was hitting him very hard um there was a point where I, I hit like a um like a, one of those uh killer instinct gold uh like twenty five hit combos on him, and he was still like drop to a knee, pop up, drop to a knee, pop up. It was uh it was pretty awesome to watch. It was pretty awesome to be a part of too.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was actually lucky enough to be live at that fight and I just kept thinking, There's no way this dude is still taking this punishment. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's what uh Pat Milit said to me after he, he was he was pretty uh, in awe of the other guy's chin and resiliency.
1: <laughs> yeah, really
2: tough guy. So
1: let, let's talk about yeah. uh, your your upcoming fight because, you know, you, you got invited to do the, the headliner on Dana White's Contender Series. How did you find out about uh, the whole ordeal in the first place and what was kind of your reaction to uh, this, you know, unique new setup?
2: Yeah, actually, I heard about the Contender Series um, uh, months ago um, and then I... I I got told, I was like, oh, that's cool. That's going to be an option for us. And then I got told, um, actually, two days before I was asked to be on the Contender Series, two days before that, I was told uh, that that's not for me. Um, Sean Shelby wants me to be a last-minute replacement in the UFC. It's more for guys um, that are, you know, top prospects and stuff like that, not established veterans like myself. And I was like, all right, that's cool, I got can- Yes, um, I just, that means I just got to be ready and stay light for a last-minute replacement call. Cool, fine. And then two days later, I get the call saying they want me to be on the show. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, can't say no to an opportunity. That's awesome. Either way, you know, I get to fight in front of Dana, and that's always been what it's about because I know once I fight in front of him, I can impress him. So yeah, that's always what it's been about.
1: And, 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 you know, so between those two options, you know, being a last-second replacement on a card like Long Island or, or in, somewhere in the area... Between the, that and the Dana White Contender Series, this one almost seems like a better option being that you, know, you have the time to prepare and you have the time uh, to you know, put in for an opponent that you're ready for.
2: Yeah, as far as um, being ready, I'm usually always ready to fight. I'm always um, doing my sprints. I'm always in shape to fight three five-minute rounds. Um, that being said, it is a little easier to prepare once you get uh, more time. But I think what's really great about it is it's the first contender series, um, so everybody's going to be talking about it. Um, I'm headlining, which is a huge deal. And uh, Kurt's already fought in the UFC, and he was the Titan FC featherweight champ, is a lightweight champ, and uh, I'm a world champ as well, seven straight finishes. This is a huge deal. And what's going through my head is the winner of this is going to get a contract. It's probably going to be one of those, like, also fighter moments where, you know, it's, it's the finale and the winner gets the contract. That's my guess. Mm-hmm. That's, it's just a guess. Uh, but, um, it, it seems, uh, it seemed odd to me that they said they do not want me on the card, on the, on the card. And then two days later, they're like, we want you to headline. So it was, it's all to me. It, it, it says that the winner is probably going to get a, a contract. Yeah. It might and- not happen, but you know, that's what it says to me.
1: Yeah, and and you would imagine too. It seems like with that shift of them saying you didn't want you on there, and now all of a sudden they want you on there. That almost they saw the value in having a couple of big names to help sell their show, maybe.
2: Yeah, and you know they want to go. They want to make the first episode exciting, so they're like, "What can we do? Let's get Mister Excitement himself, Matt set, and Kurt Holubow, who's never in a fight that doesn't have blood involved." You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's gonna be a good bra- It's gonna be a good brawl, and. uh I'm excited to get the W.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's not a lot of information out there about the Dana White contender series right now, either fans kind of left in the dark. We, we finally got some, some fights announced. What do you know in terms of, you know, what you're allowed to bring there? Obviously some corner men will be there with you, but like our friends and family invited, is there going to be a small crowd there? Is there going to be nobody, just Dana sitting in a chair there? What do you know about
2: it? Yeah, actually it's closed off to the public. Um, excuse me, I just (laughs) burped. There we go. It's closed off to the public, um, so nobody can come in, but every single fighter gets four free passes along with the corner men. So you get your three corners, and then you get four free passes. So, um, of the 10 fighters that will be there, there will be four free passes for each. So, 40 people watching, plus Dana, Sean, and Mick, uh, plus the doctor, the round crowd girl, the Mm -hmm. uh, referee. So, maybe like, I don't know, maybe 60 people total, and if Dana wants to get, bring a few guests, you know, there's not going to be a lot of people at all. It's probably going to be a, quite a, a pretty quiet room.
1: Yeah, it, it, and is there, like, a weird feeling to that? Because, I mean, you fought in front of some really, really large crowds, either in CES, uh, you know, your fight at Mohegan Sun at Bellator was, you know, packed to the rafters. It, is it going to be a weird feeling knowing that you have, like, you know, only a little bit of, of cheering going on and you'll be able to, like, hear everything?
2: I don't know. I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh but I I've had a, a lot of experience, um, so I can kinda tone out what's going on around me and focus on the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever the fight starts, all I'm thinking about is the finish. So um, you know, my mind is usually preoccupied with how I'm gonna get this finish, whether it's you know, in a scramble with a sub or uh control on the ground to a, a TKO or a sub or something like that or I'm knockout outstanding. whatever, I'm always looking at the next step. I'm always three steps ahead in my own head, in my own mind, uh, which usually leads me a few steps even further um, ahead of the other guy.
1: Yeah, and so, uh, you know, when, when we, we always like to wrap up our interviews with asking you when we see you at Dana White Contender Series on July 11th on Fight Pass against Kurt Hollibaugh, what is the way that you see that finish coming
2: um just like you said you know he's never been finished which is a um a testament to you know how tough he is um but it's when you're unconscious it's it's hard to uh say that you know, it's easy to say that I didn't tap or um I didn't give up so uh one way or the other I mean, I'm I'm going to go for the finish and I'm going to try to um make it a really definitive finish I'm trying to get the knockout or I'm trying to get a, a submission
1: well, and we, uh, we're all very excited to see it. Uh, once again, Matt Pissett fights Kurt Hollibaugh at Dana White Contender Series 1 on July 11th. Matt, we thank you so much for the
2: time. Yeah, thank you, sir. You have a good day, man.
1: This is Daniel Gumby-Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonti with Flow Combat's Top Turtle MMA. And we are speaking to Kurt Hollibaugh, who fights Matt Bassett at Dana White Contender Series 1 on July 11th. Uh, Kurt, of all the people on Dana White's Contender Series in the first episode, uh, you're really the only one with UFC experience. Uh, do you think that, that gives you an advantage in the fight against Bassett?
3: Um, Yeah, you know, maybe it, maybe it does a little bit. Uh, you know, that just shows that I've already fought at the highest levels of this sport. And... Uh, you know, hopefully I can take that over and uh, use that to help me prepare.
1: Yeah, and so, you know, you have fought at the highest levels. You've been on a UFC show. You've fought in strike force, Titan, obviously, has got quite the following now. Uh, do you feel like the environment of this gym, which, you know, probably won't have much more than like 100 people there, will kind of take away from the fight or take away from the environment?
3: Um, I really don't think so. And the reason why I don't think it will is because, you know, everybody that's uh, familiar with the UFC and is familiar with the Ultimate Fighter, they see this gym on TV. So uh, being in that, in that gym and just knowing how many guys and how many legends and superstars have fought in that gym and been in that gym, and, uh, you know, being that it's going to be in front of Dana White. So, you know, even I'm sure y'all be able to hear on TV – uh, all the remarks and all the comments to Dana White, and now they just got the new commentators that they just announced Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg. In my <laughs> you know, I, I think it's going to be pretty cool. What do you? Yeah,
0: I was gonna. We have that as a question. What, what do you think of Snoop Dogg being a commentator for this fight? For you?
3: Uh, I mean, I don't know what Snoop Dogg's uh, knowledge is on mixed martial arts, but uh, you know, just having. Old Snoop up in there is going to be pretty cool, and uh, I'm actually pretty excited for it.
0: Do you own any of Snoop Dogg's CDs?
3: Uh, I mean, I don't really own any CDs or anything, but uh, I got a few of his stations and uh, stuff like that on Spotify and Pandora.
0: Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, I don't know why I asked you CDs. It's not 1996 (laughs) anymore. That's really where I should have gone. Do you have his channel on Spotify or uh, Pandora? Uh, Now, when you got offered... Uh, the contender series fight was it? You know, just hundred percent. You were going to take it. Did you have any reservations about you know trying to get back in the UFC through this show?
3: Um, you know, not really. Uh, I figured I would get you know a lay replacement call or something like that. Uh, I was really wanting to get the call at one fifty five, since uh, you know my success for the last year has been there and my run has been really good at the return of that weight. But, uh, you know, when they called and offered it and kind of explained what it was, because I've heard of the uh, Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, but I never really looked into it too much because I was training for the fight with Jay-Z and uh, not trying to steer too far away from what I was doing at the time. But uh, right afterwards, when I kind of started looking it up and they called and offered it to me and then started telling me how, you know, I'll be headlining it against another tough uh, regional champion, Matt Bissett, and they was talking about the exposure that it could bring, being on the first one.
1: I'm like, you know what? I'm down. Let's do it. Yeah, and so I want to go back to something you said just a second ago. So you said, you know, all of your recent success, including in Titan to win the championship, has been at 155. You're going back down to 45 to fight a guy who's been fighting at 45 for pretty much his whole life. Um, At any point in time... Does the weight cut worry you? Knowing that, you know, obviously, you know, there's been a lot in the news recently about weight cuts. Are, are you a little bit concerned about getting back to 45?
3: Not really. Uh, I feel like I'm one of those fighters that is way more in between fighting for at 145 pounds and 155 pounds than I would be fighting at 155 and 170. You would probably never see me fight anywhere over 155 pounds. So if I didn't take a fight, it's definitely going to be at the 155 mark, mark or the 145 mark. So, and I'm a man. Don't get me wrong. I'm a huge 155er. So that's going to make me even a way bigger 145. But everybody sees how big I am whenever I cut to 45. And I've never had a terrible cut to 145 pounds. You know, uh, including my amateur fight. This will be my thirtieth fight uh, here coming up. So And I've never missed weight, never even came close. Uh, so I'm not worried about it. I've I still got about 14 pounds from actually where I'm at right now. I'm probably in the low 50s. I've done hit, you know, 54, 53 after some workouts here recently. So uh, I'm not very worried about the weight. I know it's going to probably be a big advantage for me, actually.
1: Yeah, and, and you're, you're 100% right there, too, a is, uh, is definitely not – what you would consider a a large 145 or even. Let's talk a little bit about his style, because if you've watched his last couple of fights, they've been absolute brawls for the CES title. Is it something that you sort of expect in this fight, that he's going to come forth trying to brawl with you?
3: Uh, Yeah, I think he'll probably try to do that for a little while, but I think eventually he is going to start looking to try to get the takedown. Uh, Because, I mean, it's no secret, all the fights that I've lost have, came from uh you know good wrestlers that take me down and you know try to point me out mm. but uh you know you can even see again in the last fight against jay-z uh the fight against yo dennis my wrestling has approved so if he wants to try to go that route uh you know i'll welcome him you know i'm actually a bjj fighter myself so mm. um i have way more wins by submission than I do knockout. And that's just because of the simple fact that guys always look to put me down and find themselves in trouble
0: when they get me down there. Looking at uh, Bissett's last couple of fights, two of his wins have come via heel hook. Is that an aspect of his game that you've potentially thought about or trained for, uh, knowing that you know he, he definitely has some leg lock skills?
3: Yeah, and... Uh, know I, I don't have a problem with anybody going for leg locks i've never been uh heel hook leg lock ankle locked, or knee barred in uh you know my mma career and you can go back and look at fights and i've I fought some tough guys that really uh that are really good at it you know i fought eric marriott who was a ultimate fighter i can't remember what season but he was a contender on the ultimate fighter and uh you know he was really good at leg locks and stuff like that and he was going for them and going for them. And a lot of times when guys vote for stuff like that on me, you're only putting
1: yourself in trouble mm-hmm. because I defend well and I can punch you in the face. So, yeah, that definitely even, uh, is the downfall of leg locks in the MMA game.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That's why, I mean, if somebody has a clean, if they can pull it pretty cleanly and not get hit or not take damage, you know, that's one thing. But a lot of times when guys are doing it, they're doing it pretty desperate and leaving themselves open. That's why you don't ever see me try for a heel hooks or anything in a fight, because I'd just rather stay on top and punch you, you know, and I even fought that guy, uh, Frodo Kostolayev, in Russia, who was a really good Sambo Mm -hmm. and uh, leg lock specialist, and, you know, I was well aware of that. Training for Jay-Z, we knew Jay-Z has a lot of power in his right hand, and goes for a lot of heel hooks and leg locks, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so that's another reason why I kind of took this fight against Bizet, because... I didn't have to change anything up. I was already just in training camp for Jay-Z. Jay-Z's style coming forward is kind of like his. You know, he throws, Jay-Z throws the right hand a lot, and Jay-Z goes for heel hooks and stuff like that. So I figured, you know, why not? Let me just stay in the training camp. Uh, I would be at, like, 11 or 12 solid weeks of training for, for set, And, you know, I knew i will be ready for sure.
1: Yeah, and that, that makes a lot of sense too, him being an opponent that's very similar to the ones you fought. You, you've you talked a little bit about getting out-wrestled and sort of getting out-pointed. You know, th- in this, this series, there, there's been noted that, you know, a, a win doesn't automatically get you into the UFC. You know, it's not like the ultimate fighter in those regards. So my question sort of here is, is it important to know that you almost need to be exciting here? Or do you think that that's a benefit to you? Because it it, it lends to your style better.
3: Yeah, uh, for one, it's definitely a benefit for me because I don't think I've ever been in a boring fight even when I fight wrestlers or guys that are not very exciting. I'm the type of fighter that can still make that fight exciting. So uh, I think it's going to benefit me a lot and I think Matt Bissette's style is basically the same. So uh, I think that's why they wanted us to headline this event because... You know, there's no doubt about it. I think we're going to be most definitely the fighter night. Yeah. We're two guys that are going to give you a fight like Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner. It wouldn't surprise me if they if they sign both of us after this because I'm pretty sure the fight's going to be damn good.
1: Absolutely. So, and uh, you know, you you've predicted that it's going to be a damn good fight. But do you have a prediction for us on how this one ends at the end of uh, Dana White Contender Series one on July 11th?
3: Uh, you know, I think I do. I think. uh you know, I'm just going to put a lot of pressure on him and, you know, I'm going to start landing way too many punches and I'm going to wind up getting the TKO, uh, probably early second round.
0: There you have it. Kurt fights Matt Bissette at Dana White Contender Series, the first episode premiering on July 11th. Kurt, uh, it's been really interesting catching up with you. We're excited for this fight. Uh, we think it's a really good uh, style fight and uh, we like the concept and, and we wish you the best of luck in this.
3: Yes, sir.
1: Thank John. Thanks for having me. There you have it, gonna be Kurt Hollibaugh and Matt Passett. Yeah, uh, it was interesting to hear both of them say that they were pretty confident the UFC was going to call anyway, because I feel like that's probably the minority of the show, but that, that's probably why they're main eventing, too.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited by this uh, concept, and I look forward to the first episode, and we will actually talk to the main eventer of the second episode in just a minute, but I thought, with it being International Fight Week, we should talk a little bit about UFC t- 213. Yeah, the, it's a, which is a banger of a card. Yeah, it's a nice card. Not a great card. It's a nice card. Well, it I is. Don't,
1: I don't know. I think it's... It's damn good Anyway You go
0: All right, well, here, let's talk about it right now. Let's (laughs) suss it out. Uh, It's headlined by a rematch of Amanda Nunes versus Valentina Shevchenko for the women's bantamweight title. Shevchenko, the challenger, is uh, riding a two-fight win streak. She beat Holly Holm via unanimous decision and then got an armbar submission win over Juliana Pena earlier this year. Her last loss was to Amanda Nunes back in March of 2016, so she is two and one in her last three. Amanda Nunes, the champion, the lioness, is riding a five-fight win streak. She's coming off a TKO of the former queen of the division, Ronda Rousey, back in December of 2016, beat Misha Tate before that to win her title, had the win over Valentina Shevchenko to become the uh, title challenger, beat Sarah McMahon, Shayna Baszler, on a huge roll since losing to all the way back at UFC 178 at, uh, in September of 2014. Gumby, who you got here?
1: I'm actually going with the challenger Shevchenko here. I, I think that The knock on Amanda Nunes constantly has been she's got to put you away early. Uh, I mean, I think what you saw in that first fight with Shevchenko, she won those first two rounds, but then she was toast in the third one. As a matter of fact, I had that fight as a draw because I gave Shevchenko a 10-8 round in the third. Um, So I I think that that idea that she fades really, really quickly bolts very terribly for her in a five-round fight against a person who's really durable. You know, Shevchenko... It's a hard person to put away. So the the concept that you, she's going to have to put on a tough enough fight so that she can win three rounds out of five, or she's got to take her out in the first – it just closes too many doors for Amanda Nunes for me.
0: I agree with you completely. Um, you know, I could see Amanda getting a knockout just based on the power, but Chevchenko is a very savvy striker. One of the best strikers in the division. She's more technical, definitely. Mm-hmm.
1: And she's going to stay away from that power hand early.
0: And she has a sneaky submission game. So I don't think Nunes will really try to draw her into deep waters on the ground. I don't think at least, uh, but I do believe just based off that third round of their first fight, it's funny to think that the challenger actually has the better chance as we get into the championship rounds of four and five. And you know what? Vegas has this very close indeed. Uh, minus 105 for Amanda Nunes in most sports books, minus 115 in most sports books for Valentina so, Shevchenko. So that,
1: means, that means the books are even seeing Shevchenko as the favorite here. Yeah. Which uh, is so rare.
0: Uh, the co-main event, I'm very excited about. Uh, it's a interim title fight. Stop me if you've heard that before. This time for the middleweight interim title. Why? Because Michael Bisping and George St. Pierre couldn't happen yet, so let's just give away an interim title. Not mad at it, though. I'm happy for Robert Whitaker, friend of the show. It's going to be Robert Whitaker versus Yoel Romero. Yoel Romero uh, is just a Cuban destroyer. Uh, he's coming off a what I would call violent flying knee win over Chris Weidman back at UFC 205 in November, beat Jacare Sousa before that via split decision, somewhat controversial. Some people had it for Sousa, beat Leota Machida, really beat the crap out of Leota Machida, and then, of course, the Tim Kennedy Stoolgate before that. All told, Yoel Romero is riding an eight-fight win streak, wins over Brad Tavares, Derek Brunson, Ronnie Marks, and Clifford Starks. Uh, the guy is an absolute killer, and it's scary to think about it had he come to MMA at a younger age. Uh, Robert Whitaker, also on the uprise here, you know, he has really truly become the biggest star in uh, out of Australia. Uh, he is carrying the Australian flag, and he is coming off a big win over Jacare Sousa, TKO head kick Back in April of this year, beat Derek Brunson before that, beat Raphael Natal before that. Whitaker himself is on a seven-fight win streak. This
1: is a great uh matchup, Gumby. Who are you picking here? I'm going with Robert Whitaker, and you can call me crazy on this one, but I just think uh, in in MMA math never works. Get get that straight off in the first place. But if you look at the way the two approached Jacaré Souza. I think that if you use that as a model to figure out who's going to win this fight, it's clearly Robert Whitaker. Because if you look at Jacare versus Romero, Romero couldn't quite get Jacare down. There were some moments where Jacare seemed like he was getting the better of the grappling exchanges. Jacare tried to grapple up Robert Whitaker, and he got tossed aside like yesterday's garbage. You know, if Romero tries to grapple Whitaker, Whitaker is going to throw him away. And I think Whitaker, again, is more technical on the feet than Romero. Does Romero throw with power? Is there a chance he knocks him out? Absolutely. But I just think Bobby Knuckles is going to keep that forward-moving pressure. And and doing that against a guy who's bigger and has a ton of muscle mass, I I just imagine that Whitaker in the later rounds, too, here, is going to be the fresher, younger, faster fighter.
0: I think that's pretty well said. I don't disagree with anything you said. Whitaker, the minus 135 uh, favorite, so to speak. But Joel Romero, uh, you know, really just a slight dog at plus 115, plus 105 in a lot of sports books. Um, It's a great fight. I'm really looking forward to it. All right. Third from the top, you have Daniel Omi Landchuk versus Curtis Blades. Why should anyone care about this?
1: People should care about this because I think, uh, honestly, Curtis Blades is probably one of the best prospects of the heavyweight division and most likely to rise. The dude's Only 26. He's two and one in the UFC. Uh, If you don't count them overturning him, popping for marijuana, uh, he's actually two and one, one in the UFC with two TKO victories and his only losses to Francis Nagano, who I thought he looked decent against in the first round. All right, fair enough. And uh, who are you picking? Uh, I'm t- picking Curtis Blades. He should be a massive favorite against Daniel Omelanchuk. He's going to take him down and pound him out, I would say one round, maybe the beginning of the second.
0: All right, that's what I thought. I just want to make sure I was keeping you on your toes. <laughs> Chuck is a plus 500 dog. Yeah, okay, that sounds right. <laughs> you can get Curtis Blades as a minus 700 favorite. Um, <laughs> this is a fight I'm very excited about you have Jim Miller versus Anthony Pettis Pettis is returning to 155 just because that cut was too brutal to 145 who you got there
1: uh, I'm leaning towards Jim Miller just based on the fact that I mean how has Pettis lost recently
0: uh, he's been out-wrestled, grinded up against the cage.
1: Yeah, and what is Jim Miller freaking stellar at doing?
0: N- making it a dirty fight yeah. and grinding people up against the cage. Yeah, he's and not going to fight Pettis make, at distance. Right, uh, making it and, a brawl.
1: And if he gets inside, he gets him into a brawl, or if he drags him to the ground, I mean, it's over. Jim Miller is going to out-wrestle Anthony Pettis here.
0: All right, I'm gonna go against you on that one. I agree. I think that's probably the way to to go, but I feel like Pettis has something left in him and I wanna see a return of a lightning fast Anthony Pettis oh, head kick. Pettis. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm just gonna go out on a limb and, and say that's what we see. But you know what? Maybe it's not a limb because he's favored in Vegas as a minus 235 favorite. But you could get Jim Miller for a lot of good reasons, like what you just brought up as a minus, or sorry, a plus 195 dog. Plus 195, that's almost two to one. Yeah, you're getting
1: two to one on your money there, and that's smart for a guy. Uh, who's fighting Pettis, who's on like a three-fight losing streak. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And then, uh, failed to mention this, that, that of course kicks off the card, but then rounding out the card and, uh, you know, a heavyweight showdown amongst two legends. Yeah, Fabricio Verdum versus Alistair Overeem. Who you got?
1: Uh, I actually like Verdum in this one uh, for a lot of reasons. I think since the last time they fought, um, Verdum's striking has looked incredibly better, you know, largely thanks to Rafael Cordero over at MMA, uh, King's MMA the fact that he his striking has gotten better and I still think he's a better grappler than Overeem. Uh, he probably learned his lesson fighting Stipe knowing you can't rush in against a guy who strikes better than you. I think you'll see a smarter Fabrizio Verdum here, a careful Fabrizio Verdum here, and a Verdum that's going to work out probably a decision here. Uh,
0: I agree with you a thousand percent. I'm actually shocked the odds are as close as they are here. Verdum, a plus 110 uh, dog, and Overeem, a minus 130 favorite, which I just I don't get because I feel like Verdum's striking has come such a long way. It was more of a mistake against Stipe that cost him the title than anything else. Yeah, and
1: he was a killer leading up to that, too. I mean, this is a guy who beat Kane Velasquez which only Junior Dos Santos has done, and now we're one fight removed from him losing the title, and he's a dog.
0: And with uh, Naguera retired and Frank Muir suspended for eating deer meat and popping for steroids or whatever he wants to blame it on, by far and away, I'd say the best jits in the heavyweight division, it's Fabricio Verdum all the way. I think he has more weapons to win.
1: Yeah, and even with those two healthy, he's at least in the conversation anyway, so...
0: All right, looking at the rest of the card, Gumby, why don't you give us a fight to watch or a fighter to watch out for? Or you know what? Go crazy. It's International Fight Week. Give us a couple of fighters uh, to
1: watch. I-, I love Gerald Mearshart. Uh, I've been singing his praise since we had him on the show before his UFC debut. He's fighting Tiago Santos at middleweight. Um, he's a Duke Rufus product, and he is he's just been on a freaking spree right now.
0: Mearshart, the plus 115 dog. Tiago Santos, a minus 135 favorite.
1: Yeah, it's awesome that you can get him as a dog, too, because if you looked, he just beat... A grappler by out grappling him. Uh, he he's beat the shit out of strikers. I mean, this is a guy. This is a guy who can beat you just about anywhere. So uh, really looking forward to him fighting Santos. Uh, another one that you should definitely watch. Never miss a Rob Font fight. Rob Font, super super exciting. He's fighting uh, Douglas Silva dandrage at bantamweight. Uh, that'll be on the Fight Pass part of the card. Um, so if you've got Fight Pass, which you should, tune in and watch him beat the shit out of somebody. <laughs> Fair. What else? Uh, I also, as like one more fight that you probably don't want to miss, I love Bilal Muhammad. Bilal Muhammad's looked nothing but good since joining the UFC. Another guy fighting underneath Duke Rufus. Um, And and he's won, let's see, two out of his last three, which is super exciting, uh, including just beating Randy Brown. Balil Muhammad,
0: the minus 150 favorite to Jordan mean the plus 130 dog taking it back a step Rob font a very heavy minus 280 favorite over Douglas Silva D. Andrade. He's a plus 240
1: dog. Yeah, so uh, they're both favorites. Uh, I'm a little surprised Muhammad is against Jordan mean because Jordan means kind of get the bigger name, but all three of those super exciting to watch uh, and will definitely get you jacked up for the pay-per-view.
0: So I was going to just round this out. We spoke about the fights themselves. Now let's talk about this being the main event of uh, Uh, fight week and this is why i said it's you know i like the top two fights don't get me wrong but as a whole it does not have the fight week excitement that i think we've seen in the past couple of years but is
1: that just because you want that like blockbuster-esque main event yes and and that's just what it's missing right like all the the rest of the cards got it all right like fight week you gotta have jim miller right have to have jim miller he's always on fight week You, you need to have like an Overeem Verdum-esque heavyweight matchup. That's exciting. But, like, you're right. It, it's an interim title in women's bantamweight, weight, which historically doesn't draw all that well.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Amanda Nunes. I love Valentina Shevchenko. But there's just something and excitement kind of missing. You know, I just think the UFC, to not... Is it their fault? Is it just kind of a run of bad luck? I just feel like the pay-per-views this year have been a little underwhelming, and mm. I was expecting something... Extraordinary during fight Some, week, something
1: like UFC two fourteen. Uh, UFC two fourteen. Yeah, so if you look at the card, oh right, yeah. The yeah net, if you the... look at the upcoming card for UFC two fourteen, for those of you listening at home who haven't been following, you know, really closely like we have, they just added the fact that they're going to put uh, Demi and Maya and Tyrone Woodley on a card that already had Cormier Jones. And also has Tonya Avenger battling Cyborg for that title. So, like, take my money now. Yeah, exactly. They added an amazing title fight to an already amazing card. That's what you're looking for in. in international fight week correct yeah
0: absolutely and that's what i was going to say to you when you look at this from a business perspective because i always like to look at the business perspective obviously last year ufc 200 did a million buys and that's what jones and cormier falling out you had the return of brock lesnar call that what it was it was a freak show but hey it's international fight week it's their version of wrestlemania they brought in a pro wrestler they put on a a freak show it got a million buys uh you go the year before my favorite card perhaps of all time ufc 189 you had mcgregor versus mendez which was supposed to be mcgregor versus aldo did 883 thousand buys year before that you had um Weidman versus uh Machida bit underwhelming. Rousey was the undercard because they were, not the undercard, the co-main event because they were always pairing Weidman with Rousey but that did 545,000 buys uh, year before that you had Weidman versus Silva, no one really was believing in Weidman yet, it still did 550,000 buys because it was Anderson Silva this card, just you know you look at this and you think about UFC 100, uh, Silva versus Sonin took place in July during International Fight Week in 2012, those both did over a million buys, UFC 100 held the record for a while.
1: This certainly doesn't feel like half a million buys.
0: No, I mean, it's going to be, you know, every card this year has hovered around or sub 300,000. You get the International Fight Week bump. Maybe it does 350.
1: Yeah, and, I still feel like this one's right around 300 or maybe even a little less. Maybe even maybe a, a little quartered. less. Maybe a quarter of a mil.
0: And, you know, it just is what it is. Just wanted to point it out. It just doesn't feel like an International Fight Week card. Mm-hmm. The next one, to your point, UC 214, that feels like the International Fight Week card. Th- that's going to do some crazy good numbers, I think. All right, let's cut now to our interview with the second, uh, or not the second, he he will be on the second episode of Dana White's Contender Series, so not this coming Tuesday, but two Tuesdays from now, Uh, and that's Sean O'Malley, who fights out of the MMA lab in LFA promotion, so we got a chance to catch up with him, we'll play you that interview right now, we're going Dana White Contender Series, crazy here, three of the fighters featured in the first two main events, and this interview is brought to you by Band Coffee, Band coffee makes the world's strongest coffee head on over to band enter in promo code top turtle MMA for a 20% discount band coffee brings you our interview with LFA fighter and Dana White contender main event fighter Sean O'Malley
1: this is Daniel Gumby Reeland with flow combats top turtle MMA podcast and I am talking with sugar Sean O'Malley who fights at Dana White's contender series 2 on July 18th uh Sean uh, your recent KO at LFA 11 went viral. Uh, spinning heel kick knockout of David Nuzio. Uh, was that a kick you throw often, or was it just the right moment for that kick?
4: Uh, no, yeah, it's a kick I throw. I've thrown it in practice. I've thrown it on the mitt. I've thrown it sparring. So It just happened to be right there and open, and I I let it go.
1: Yeah. And did you, uh, so, so obviously that was, it it was all over the place. Uh, did you feel like you got a lot more attention in the media and at home over that one?
4: Oh yeah, that one definitely got my name out there.
1: Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be one of the first people on this new series, this Dana White contender series. Um, is there any, uh, you know, kind of curiosity to how this is going to be run or do they keep you pretty in the loop about things?
4: No, yeah. I haven't heard much at all. I've, uh, been asking my manager to, well, he hasn't really been able to find out too much either about like as far as what happens after I win or who's allowed to go and watch so yeah I'm, I'm still pretty curious
1: That's interesting too, because we just talked to uh, Mapisset, who is going to be headlining the first Dana White Contender Series. He said that he was allowed four total tickets uh, to the to the fight. So um, you may have uh, four of your closest friends hitting you up pretty damn quick. (laughs)
4: Uh, No, yeah, that's kind of what I've been hearing. Wasn't no one ever confirmed that four tickets? But no, yeah, that's perfect. I got my mom, dad, brother, and sister. So.
1: There you go, perfect. The close family gets invited and the friends are going to have to watch from home. Um, so, you know, in your preparation for this fight, there, there has been a rumored uh, opponent. Uh, have they definitely clarified that with you?
4: Yep, I have a, I have a for sure opponent.
1: Okay, and that's Alfred uh, Kajakashan? Yep. Awesome. So, in, in your, that, that obviously gives you something to prepare for. So, in your preparations for him, uh, how do you feel you match up with him?
4: Uh, This kid's a striker. He doesn't wrestle. I'm probably not going to wrestle. We're just going to be a kickboxing match. So, that's what I'm planning.
1: And and do you feel like that bodes well, too, seeing as this is is basically a tryout for the UFC? You know, they've said there's no guaranteed contract on the line. There's no... You know, you don't have to win to get in. You could also get in otherwise. Do you think it bodes well for you that this is going to be just like a striking battle?
4: Well, yeah, I think so. I think... I'm going to knock this kid out in style, and I think they're going to want to sign me after coming off two knockouts like that. So that's kind of what I have in my head, and that's what I think is going to happen.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, we've interviewed a lot of guys uh, from your gym. We've interviewed Coach Crouch a lot. Uh, You know, obviously the preparation uh, with so many guys who are peaking right now with with fights coming up is helpful. Uh, Do you feel like you're going to have some tough choices when it comes to picking cornermen?
4: Um. No, I always have my buddy Tim Welch in my corner, and then uh, couch is always in my corner. So those guys have been in my corner my last three, four, five fights. So
1: mm-hmm.
4: they'll probably be in the corner the rest of my career.
1: Yeah, and super smart guys to have there too. So it's it's never yep. uh, never a problem with that. Uh, so. Uh, Follow-up question here, too, to, to all this Dana White Contender Series stuff. So, I mean, if we get four tickets per person plus cornermen, and you think about how many people that's going to line up when there's 10 people on the card, we're, we're talking only maybe 75 people max at this fight. You know, you fought in front of huge crowds, right? Like LFA has got some, some really big crowds. Yeah. Is, is it weird knowing that you're going to fight in front of like 75 people after fighting in front of thousands and thousands of people in the past?
4: No, I, it's not going to bother me at all. It's just going to be like sparring on sparring at the lab. Um, I could fight with no one in there, just me and the guy. I don't really feed off the crowd. Like, I do feed off the crowd, but it's not what gets me jacked to fight. I love fighting for myself, so that's not going to be a big problem for me. Yeah, and
1: okay, so that that's good that, that it's not like, uh, you know, any additional, you know, worry about getting jacked up, but is there any additional right. pressure knowing that all of those people – are people who hold the future of your career, you know, because before you're fighting in front of large crowds, right, and it's just people who pay to get there and are super excited. But this is like five or six guys total watching you as fans who are looking to determine what happens to the rest of your career. Any additional pressure there?
4: No, I'm not going to feel any pressure. I'm not worried. If I lose this fight, I'm 22 years old. I'm back to, back to gym and trade, and I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. I'm not in a rush for nothing. I'm I'm just gonna go in there and have fun, like I do every fight. And every time I do that, I knock the dude out. So I'm not there's no pressure for me at all.
1: And and that's certainly a great mentality to have, being only 22 and, and knowing that you've got your whole future ahead of you. We always like to end these interviews with with kind of looking for a, a prediction here. Now, obviously, you've told us you're you're planning on knocking the dude out. How does it go down? How does this guy wind up getting his lights turned off?
4: I'm knocking this dude out in style, just like the last fight. I predicted a viral knockout. I'm going to go out there and knock this dude out, and it's going to get, um, give me a lot of attention. So that's what's going to happen. First, second, third round, it doesn't matter.
1: Well, we're certainly excited to see it, Sean. Uh, reminder, Sean fights at Danaway Contender Series 2 on July 18th. That's on Fight Pass. Sean, we thank you so much for the time, and uh, we hope to catch up with you after you get that big knockout.
4: Perfect. Sounds good. Thanks so much.
1: There you have it, Gumby Sean O'Malley. Yeah, I really liked his uh, fresh perspective. There, you don't hear so many twenty-two-year-olds uh, acting that mature, saying, D- "You know, he knows this isn't his last chance. He's going to have many chances." So there's not a lot of pressure on him. But uh, if he performs anything like last time, he won't need another chance.
3: All right.
0: Rounding out fight week. Uh, you have the Ultimate Fighter finale on Friday, July 7th, uh, the night before UFC 213. Hey, they didn't do an extra card on Sunday night like they've been doing.
1: Yeah, they, I see they went with two cards this time. I actually think that's better because even me at the end of International Fight Week. And, dude, I watch a ton of MMA. You're dying. But like, I watch, you know. Russian MMA, British MMA, Brazilian MMA, whatever's on that weekend, I watch. E- even at the end of that, I was like, at 36 fights, I was tired. Agreed.
0: Well, it's an exciting main event for the Ultimate Fighter finale. You have Michael Johnson ranked number five uh, at 155, and he's going to be fighting Justin Gaethje, who's 17-0. and 0. Who you got here? Uh,
1: I think I'm going to go with Michael Johnson. Uh, I think it's probably the less popular decision right now. But just when I look back at Gaethje's fights in World Series of Fighting, and, and he did look so good in some of them, he just also looks hittable sometimes. Um, and the fact that Michael Johnson has got like a renewed renewed confidence in his boxing and his renewed confidence to put dudes out with his heavy hands, I, I just think that that winds up being a bad thing for Gaethje. On top of that, I think Johnson has also kind of got the the hedge on the. The grappling side of things here. So if he does side, decide to body him up, like the way that he beat Edson Barboza, he might be able to use a similar game plan to beat Gaethje here.
0: Now we obviously don't know who the fighters are going to be in the Ultimate Fighter Finale finals other than, themselves. Other than Diego
1: Lima. So Diego Lima already punched his ticket and it's supposed to be the winner of Jesse Taylor and James Kraus. God, do I love uh, Jesse Taylor. Um,
0: <laughs> what other fights are you looking forward to on this, if any? Um,
1: I really really like Mark Casey versus uh, Drakar Close. Uh, Close is fighting out of the MMA lab. He uh, he's one and zero after beating Devin Powell and Dia Casey's two and zero with two killer finishes. Um, I also really like coming up on the prelim cards on uh, Fox Sports One. Jessica I, who's I mean she's on a pretty historic losing streak here while keeping her job. She's fighting a very exciting twenty-two year old prospect, Aspen Ladd, all five of Aspen Lad's pro fights have happened in Invicta with four finishes. She could be the next big up-and-comer in the Bantamweight division, and that's pretty damn exciting. Um, apart from that, uh, always watch Elias Theodorou's fights. He's super exciting. And uh, Jared Cannonier versus Steve Bosset, uh will probably be an absolute banger.
0: All right. Well said. Well, that is International Fight Week. This was Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We'll be back next week breaking all those fights down uh, and more to come, of course. Uh, I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. Thank you, Flow Combat. Thank you, Band Coffee. Thank you, Sisu. We're out of here for now.